Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with sports photographer Brad Mangin. Brad Mangin is a sports photographer based in the San Francisco Bay Area who has worked with clients such as Sports Illustrated, Major League Baseball, and the PGA Tour, to name a few. Much of Brad's work has been covering the game of baseball, where he has photographed legendary players such as Barry Bonds, Derek Jeter, Pedro Martinez, and Cal Ripken, to name a few. Brad has spent over 30 years photographing sports and baseball and has a true passion for the craft of photography, so I was really excited to get a chance to speak with him about all his work and experience within photography. So I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, Brad Mangin, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Hey, Alex, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, definitely. I was excited to talk to you. Um, I'm also a big uh, uh, sports lover and sports photography, and i uh, been aware of your work for years now, and uh, glad I got a chance to talk to you. Um, but I guess just to kind of start off, um, I was just kind of curious uh, where you grew up and what are kind of some of your earliest memories of photography. Well, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, more uh, directly in the East Bay in the town of Fremont, which is about midway between Oakland and San Jose, and really got into photography my junior year in high school. Luckily, um, my best friend Joe was into photography because we had a great high school photography teacher, uh, Mr. Paul Ficken, and I uh, took basic photo my second semester of my junior year and just really fell in love with it in my senior year I took a bunch of more photography classes and I shot for the high school yearbook and by college I was ready both me and my buddy Joe we pretty much did everything together we went to the local junior college in Fremont Ohlone Junior College majoring in photojournalism um, on a really good track to get our AA degrees and transfer to San Jose State, which in the mid-80s was one of the top photojournalism programs in the country. Wow. And um, so we were lucky at a time when um, when the education was really lined up for you, when we lived half hour away from one of the top five photojournalism schools in the country. Mm. And, um, you know, everything was right there in front of me, my buddy Joe, to... Um, to really go after photojournalism. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And do you kind of remember the first camera you got when uh, you first picked oh, it up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you never forget. I mean, I mean, well, you know, as a kid, you know, I shot with, uh, I was born in 1965. So I shot with, um, you know, the, the camera that every, you know, mom and dad or family had that was not a real photographer. It was like a Kodak 126 Instamatic that shot 126 film. And then the 110 cameras came out, and I had each of those. And you'd go to Long's Drugs or Thrifty to drop off your film to get it developed. And um, mm. but my first camera, I was saving up money. I was literally working at Chuck E. Cheese in high school, saving up money to buy a car. But then I got so into photography, <laughs> I decided to uh, skip the car for a while, and I bought a in uh, in the summer of '82. I bought a Canon AE1 program with a 50 millimeter lens for uh, 249. Wow. And that was uh 
that was my first camera. Yeah, it's a classic, man. I, I actually have one of those, and it, it's still a great cram camera. I use it sometimes. It's just such a beast of a camera. I still enjoy it. Um, but I guess when you kind of first picked up the camera, was it always sports for you from the get-go, or what were kind of some of those early pictures you were kind of taking just when you were kind of first starting well, out? Well, I, I grew up I grew up a sports fan. My dad my dad played Division One college basketball in the 50s here in the Bay Area. My dad was a high school basketball coach for over 30 years. Um, sports was always a big deal in our house. I grew up um, a Giants fan, rooting, you know, watching Bay Area football. We had the Raiders and Niners, the Golden State Warriors in basketball. Um, you know, the A's were winning in World Series in 72, 3, and 4. But I was a Giants fan because my dad was a Giants fan. So I was surrounded by sports and um but going into photojournalism, you just, you know, you're going to shoot everything because that's, that's part of it. But when you're, you know, when you're shooting pictures in high school, you know, it's, it's, you take it, you, you get a camera and a, and a roll of black and white film and you take pictures of things around the house. So it's, mm. you know, I took a lot of pictures of my cat. I remember taking pictures of my cat on a skateboard and <laughs> different things and pictures of family members and whatever. Mm. And, um, it wasn't very exciting, uh, you know, shooting for the yearbook was fun because my senior year, because then you're actually, you know, you're shooting everything. You're shooting headshots of student council people and group pictures, and then you're shooting sports and mm. you're shooting, you're, you know, the, the whole thing is running film through your camera. You know, it's like tying your shoes. You know, the more you do it, you, it becomes reflex and, and second nature instead of having to think about it because yeah. back then, you know, just loading, you know, there, everyone in the world uh, screwed up loading a roll of film and would take their shooting pictures, but the film wasn't loaded properly. And, yeah. you know, it was it was tough <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at man. the beginning. So, so just the fact that you were running film through the camera was a great learning experience every day. Being mm -hmm. able to shoot and have someone else pay for it yeah. um, was, was a great way to learn. Yeah, it's awesome. I know myself, I started shooting film when I got into it, and I was shooting, like, uh, chromes, and it was this, I think, looking back on it now, it almost seems kind of crazy because with everyone that shoots digital now, but when I was first starting out, when you're shooting chrome, your margin for error was so small with, like, exposure and stuff, and I remember this, like, burning through film uh for for years before i really kind of started to figure it out um do you feel like starting off in film kind of was a good experience kind of made you like a strong photographer versus like i guess people starting out nowadays they just kind of oh with with without a question i mean because if you screwed up with the film you know there ain't no computer or software. I don't give a shit what anyone tells you. There ain't nothing that's gonna save that, that no. thin ass negative yeah. or that or that negative that's that's blocked up. Um, mm. um, you got to go reshoot. Yeah. Um, and so you learn. Mm -hmm. You learn. It's like, oh my god, you come out of the dark room with film that's in the trash can. So you got to go reshoot, and you really learn the math, you learn your exposures, um, you know, you got to figure it out. Yeah. And it's a whole, it's a whole art and the whole printmaking process. And you got to be a good printer and, and you got to, it's the whole package, you know, back when I started your, uh, to get newspaper internships in the eighties, your portfolio was 11 by 14 mounted prints on boards. Mm. And so you needed to be able to be a great black and white printer. Okay. You needed to make yourself look kick ass yeah. and 
it was all part of the part of the total package. Yeah. You know, if it, if you if your prints were were shitty, that meant that you know that you didn't value your photo your photographs or or yourself as a photographer. And if you're a sloppy printer, then you're a sloppy person. And why should I invest time in hiring you? Yeah. You know, it's like it, it reflects on you. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, you could kind of compare it to nowadays. Uh, obviously, people aren't like printing in the darkroom as much as they used to. But I think even this, the way you present your work on your website and how you kind of present your work online and stuff, it's different now. But I think it's kind of the same similarity. Like you want to go the extra yard, make sure your stuff's like color corrected, um, have a nice website. It is. It's kind of going the extra mile to finish the job. You know. Yeah, but it was harder. It was you know. You, doing the darkroom stuff, man, you know, most people didn't have a darkroom at home. Mm. You had to do it at school. You had to do it till two, three, four in the morning. You know, you had to go through lots of photo paper. You put it on fiber paper and it looks great when it's wet. Then, it, then you bring it outside and it dries down and all your whites go to gray yep. and it looks like shit. You got to redo it and, <laughs> yeah. and you got to do it yourself yeah. and you got to learn. And it's, it's a, and and it's a it's a it's a it was a tough deal. You really had to learn so many skills, and it really mm-hmm. made you better when you were out there shooting. And and I haven't even gotten into shooting chrome yet. You know, I'm just talking about black and white. Mm. And it it's um, you know, and then you know we didn't have fast film. We had Tri X, and you'd push the hell out of Tri X. Mm. And then when I was in college, they came out. They, it was still tested at the San Jose Mercury News in 1987-88. They had plain yellow boxes they called Magic Film, and it was T-Max 3200, but it was still not officially out on the market yet. They gave us some rolls of it to test out, and it was, uh, you know, when T-Max 3200 black and white film came out, it was like, oh my God, it was a miracle worker. (laughs) Game changer. Um, But it was Magic Film in plain yellow boxes from Kodak, and and that was, you had to use their special developer, but, Mm. you know, you could shoot... You could shoot in the darker gyms, you know, football and volleyball, and I mean basketball and volleyball and stuff like that, and and get better results because you, back then, you were not allowed to use a flash for anything. Yeah. Other, you know, if, if you did, you know, your mentors and your bosses and everyone would just scream at you because it was all pure then. Everything uh-huh. was pure photojournalism, man. No, no flashes. That's interesting. No it was, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Um, so they kind of they looked down upon Flash as a, as if it was like a, oh, like a, like a crutch. Awful, awful. Interesting. You know, it looked horrible. Yeah. You know, if you go to a high school football game, you had to nail it. You had to. It was it was a thing. If you use Flash, you were garbage. <laughs> it was just. It was absolute garbage. You had to go out there, and this is manual focus, and you would shoot. Yeah. You'd get a, you know, with a 180, with a Nikon, you had a 182.8, or if you're lucky, a 300.28. Hmm. Same with a Canon, it was a 200.28 or a 300.28, and you'd hope they'd run a sweep at you, and you're shoot, you're lucky if you're shooting 250 at 2.8, hmm. and and then just, you know, and that's at 3,200 or 6,400 or ASA 10,000. Yeah. These fields that were so dimly lit, and then you get a team that wears red, and that photograph's black. Yeah. And and the fields are spotty and oh my god and you're just dying for one sharp frame. Yeah, and this is this, this is like pre. Was there even motor drives at that point? Oh yeah, there's motor drives. Okay. You know, I'm not that old. Yeah. There's motor drives, but still, 
you know, you're talking, you know, depending if you had a Nikon FM2, you're three and a half frames a second. If you mm-hmm. had an F5, you're five frames a second. Or a Canon F1, you're five frames a second. But okay. still, yeah. uh, doesn't that, you know, five frames a second, not much. If, if you're not sharp, you, you got yeah. lots of bad, blurry frames. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to develop that film on deadline on Friday night while sports is has a big hole in the, in the sports section waiting for your... Football picture. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, it's well, all. you better have something because the presses are waiting. There's yeah. a lot of pressure on you. Yeah, I've always admired. and they can't pick a and they can't pick a picture off the wire. Yeah, because because the AP ain't at your high school football game. No. Um, yeah, I've always that's always 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 been impressed with like sports photographers because you have the the moment's so quick and it's just like it's so tough to like just get that moment especially back then like you're saying you're shooting film well, back then yeah. now it's easy now you could go yeah. you could be drunk stoned asleep <laughs> um laying down upside down with today's autofocus and digital you could make a picture in 10 seconds yeah it's people have no idea how, how easy it is now my god yeah it is shooting prep sports and all that stuff. I mean, for us, the pressure of, especially games, they'd say games are starting at 7.30, but they never started on time. And your deadline is nine. And mm-hmm. the games would start late and and you would have to, I mean, it was exciting, the adrenaline rush. You would maybe only get to shoot five minutes of the game. Then you got to drive the film back to the paper and then develop the film and, you know, print with wet film and run a wet print out to sports and, Say this is a this is a bad print, but this is for size. You can lay out the page. You'll have a good print in five minutes, and mm. and because you needed to get a picture out, mm. and it was like, I mean, it, it was crazy, but it was it was fun. It was just a different time. Yeah, it sounds you like know, it. Now, nowadays nowadays you know you could you know you could shoot a picture immediately, and it's tack sharp, and the quality's insane, yep. and it's in color. And you could have it in the office in a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's it's what's happened uh, technology-wise. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it is pretty um, wild. But I mean, I guess to go back a little bit, um, like I think you mentioned, you went to you ended up going to school for you ended up studying photojournalism, correct? Yes. Um, I guess when you're in school studying photojournalism, did you kind of already have like a goal in mind in, in the type of photography you, you thought you wanted to do? Um, was it always sports or did you think you were going to work? Well, out? back then, you got to realize back then in the 80s, the only, it's funny, the the career was so different. The, you know, newspapers were great. They were viable uh, jobs. uh there were newspapers everywhere. There were staff jobs everywhere. And that was your dream to be, to be a newspaper photographer. Yep. And, um, you know, you staff job, you know, they, depending on the size of the paper, they'd give you a camera allowance or give you gear, give you good mileage or give you a car, you know, wow. wherever you work, you get benefits, you know, it's a job job. It's a job. Yeah. And depending on where you work, you get to cover cool stuff or, semi-cool stuff and you work your way up the ladder you started a small paper work work your way up to a big paper and you start by interning and then you pay your dues and you and usually if you interned and did a good job there was always an opening and they hire you and all you wanted to do was work in a newspaper because it's just it was so much fun and then you always had as an underclassman you always had 
you know, when I was a junior, we had seniors that were kick-ass that were interning at the LA times and wow. Newsday and national geographic. And, and the seniors always took care of the ju- the juniors and mentored us because they were the veterans and they wow. would coach us and teach us. And it was an, uh, an infectious, um, wonderful atmosphere at school because, because there were no computers, you weren't going home to do it on your own. You had to use the dark room. So we were all in the dark room mm. and hanging out yeah. every day and all learning from each other. Then we'd all go out drinking together <laughs> and it was all, it was just a different time. There were no phones. There was no internet. It was, we learned from each other and all we did was talk photography and we would bring in, we had National Press Photographers Association meetings every month because we had a great local chapter. And we, in the Bay Area, between the San Jose Mercury, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the Examiner, and the other papers like the Oakland Tribune, we had incredible newspaper photo staffs with, mm. with national award-winning photographers that we bring in every month to speak to us. And yeah. they were so helpful. And you'd see all the papers every day. And... Yeah. That's all we ever wanted to do. You didn't, there was no such thing as ever thinking about just doing sports or doing anything. You just wanted to work at paper. You yeah. work at paper, you do everything. Eventually, you might get to kind of specialize, but hmm. back in that time, man, you just, On the excitement shoot. of just going to work and then you do an internship. <laughs> My first one was in 1987 at the Contra Costa Times, which was like a 100,000 circulation hmm. paper in the East Bay. You know, you do everything. You go to work. You you know, you work a nine to five or a two to ten or whatever. And you know, you the excitement. You don't know what you're going to do that day. Mm-hmm. You know, you you're shooting a hundred year old lady's birthday at the senior center. You're <laughs> shooting a a Cub Scout meeting. You're shooting a this, and then you got an A's game that night, or you got a high school football game, or a this or that, and then there's a grass fire. Or, yeah. You know, it's just it's 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 just completely random. But it was always exciting and. And then you're learning from the older photographers that would always teach you. And, um, mm. and it was, none of us ever got into it, you know, for money because there is no money, yeah. but you just wanted to work. You just loved it. Yeah. You just, and the, the, and the thrill of, you know, seeing your pictures in the paper, and mm. especially seeing it on the front page. And, and there's just, there's just nothing like it. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, it's pretty amazing to hear you kind of talk about like even this at your school. How it was like the community of photographers that all kind of supported each other? Because I think I would imagine like back then, obviously you're shooting film, and if you wanted to become a good photographer back then, you really had to ha- have a passion for it because the amount of time just to learn the the craft and things took a lot more t- uh, time. Whereas nowadays, the the bar to entry to get into photography is a lot. It's a lot easier because, like you said, the technology is easy. There's YouTube, and now it's just kind of like everyone thinks they're a photographer because you can just go buy a digital camera at Best Buy, throw it on auto, and you, you think you're a photographer. But back then, it's, it, it, exactly, it was hardcore. It was, um, mm. it was, and we had great teachers. We had we had uh, an outgoing professor who was on his way to a slow retirement, Joe Swan, who had started our program in the early 60s who was a legend and then we had our new professor jim mcnay who became a legend uh, teaching photojournalism at several schools here on the west coast at san jose state and then at brooks down in santa barbara Mm -hmm. where we had i mean my first year at school in 1987 at san jose state as a junior kim kamenich from the san francisco examiner he he wins a pulitzer prize for his 
coverage of the fall of Marcos in the Philippines, he was a San Jose State grad wow. a few years earlier. So we're students at school, and one of us from a few years earlier had just, just wins a Pulitzer Prize. I mean, <laughs> people are going bananas. The teachers are going nuts. It's like it's like You're everyone proud. is so proud. excited and proud and the school had such a great reputation. We had a daily paper, the Spartan Daily. Yep. So, you know, there would be, you know, you, you'd work on the daily as a photographer for a semester. Then some people would come back and work as a chief photographer or a picture editor yeah. somewhere in administration. And, and you were just, you know, we never set foot in the library. We just did all our homework in the photo lab. We were <laughs> constantly you were in the photo lab or in the pub with your buddies. Um, but it was, that's all we did. And because we were always around each other and always encouraging each other, kind of push each other. And you'd bring a print out of the dark, you bring a print out of the dark room on a tray and you'd show it, you know, you'd, you'd show it to one of the seniors Mm -hmm. and, and, and sometimes they'd look at you and say, can you reshoot? You know, <laughs> and, and, but we learned yeah. it was, uh, yeah. it was, it was, uh, you know, you, you couldn't go online and look at anything. It was just, mm-hmm. you kept, uh, you know, so you really looked at books and magazines and newspapers. You were, you, you craved information and you, and you looked for it anywhere you could. Mm. You know, like I've had this conversation with a lot of photographers and I think, um, it's important even nowadays I've been trying to do it is to like print my work because a lot of times nowadays you shoot a photo, it just sits on a laptop or a hard drive. And I think the thing with printing, like the way you describe it back in the day is like when you print your photo, you spend more time with it. You kind of analyze your work. And I feel like whenever I do it, I kind of learn more about my photography. Um, Do you feel like it's a good thing to print your own work sometimes? You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. As, as, as you get older, you get, it's different. Like I, huh, I went through a nightmare in the, I tried to, once we all went, well, I didn't go digital until 2003, but in the mid to late nineties, when we all started getting computers and Epson started coming out with good printers in the mid to late nineties. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. I bought, you know, I, I bought like a $500 printer, which was supposed to print up to like yeah. 11 by 18s or whatever. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm buying the, the special Epson paper and all this crap and all mm-hmm. the ink. Mm. And, but it was so early. There were, it was like voodoo. No one, the color space, you know, is it Adobe 1998 or is it SRGB? And this, no one knew there were no, I mean, Epson didn't even know how to do it. And I'd be up and suddenly it's three in the morning and everything's green, Yeah, you know, and, and I came so close to throwing the printer out my window <laughs> and I got so pissed yeah. that I just, I just stopped. And then I used my printer just for printing out invoices and okay. FedEx labels. And, yeah. and, you know, I have friends that later became geniuses at it as the printers got bigger, better, and then they would buy all the calibration stuff and calibrate their monitors. And I just became so frustrated. Yeah. Um, and on rare occasions, if I need a print made, I'll go to a lab or something. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, it's different because you can't run into the dark room yeah. and make it. And I know, you know, 
I sound like an idiot. I can <laughs> no. go by. Yeah, the printers now I know are easy. <laughs> no, trust me. I'm, 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 I'm scarred. I am so scarred from <laughs> 20 years ago. When my and it would take forever to print too. I don't know. It'd take like five minutes or whatever, and it would come out. Yeah. And 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 it just would be awful. And no matter what you did, and you couldn't. And this was like the internet was hardly around, and you could mm-hmm. like not even any websites that could. Yeah. It was just. It was like the dark ages. No, I de- I've definitely, I've definitely been, I've been there, man. I, I, I've had those moments where I want to take a bat to my printer because it's the same thing, and you're trying to get it to work. Uh, but you know, it's something I do think about sometimes. Um, but I guess just to kind of go back a little bit, uh, once you kind of finished school, like what was kind of your next step into like kind of getting into the photography world? I guess did you end up like working for a newspaper? Well, I, I luck, luckily I, I interned at this place, the Contra Costa Times, in '87 and 88 in the sum- two summers in a row mm. and it was a great place and they liked me and uh right before i graduated they started um they had a small daily a suburban a, a smaller daily in one of their areas that was just fifteen thousand circulation the san Ramon valley times mm. we covered three high schools and they, they had a staff opening and so and this is classic what happens you intern at a big paper and then you get a job at one of the smaller mm. outlying papers. And that's what I did. And this was fall of 88 and I was making $16,000 a year. Mm. I got $30 a month camera allowance and I think 21 cents a mile. Mm. And I was thrilled out of my mind. I was <laughs> off, you know, you work when you're the rookie, you work nights and weekends. I was off Mondays and Tuesdays. Yeah. And, um, we covered three high schools and it was awesome. That's cool. It was, uh, it was <laughs> learned so much Had a, a guy who's one of my dear friends today, Bob Larson just had dinner at his house about a month or so ago. He, he was my chief photographer. Mm. You know, this was 30 years ago wow. and you, you make great friends in newspapers. That's one thing you may, you know, and, and, and he taught me so much and, I covered so many little league games and high school games and, mm. you know, spot news for us, literally, and this happened with a cat caught in a tree and the fire department <laughs> had to come to get him down. I'm, I'll never forget that. I made a good <laughs> picture, too, the cat up in the tree. Yeah. Um, you know, we never had any news. Um, small community, you make a good picture, I mean, I'll never forget coming to work one day. I was, I mean, I was a 23-year-old punk and some old lady made me cookies. Oh really? You know, that's 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 the type of small town thing it was. Wow, that's but pretty... it was a job. Yeah, it was a job, and you're thrilled. And but what was cool is I was still a part of the chain of papers that covered pro sports and big stuff in the Bay Area. Mm. Um, so I would go a lot sometimes as an extra guy to big to Forty Nine er games or A's or Giants. Wow. Um, or I'd go on my days off just to practice and learn and was building up a decent portfolio. Mm-hmm. And then in 1990, there was this incredible, amazing thing that uh, most people don't remember, unless unless you're old like me, you don't remember. There was a, a Frank DeFord, probably one of the most famous American sports writers ever who passed away a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. He started a daily sports newspaper in this country called the national sports daily. Okay. And it started in New York, Chicago and LA and they were going to branch out into San Francisco. 
and the director of photography was the legend Neil Leifer. Wow. And I ended up with my sister, who's in advertising and knew um, the head advertising guy in New York for the National. I sent a portfolio, mm. um, not thinking anything of it. And it was all it was 30 pictures. It was all high school and Little League and a little bit of pro stuff. Most of it was black and white. Yeah. And long story short, Neil loved the portfolio gave me a few freelance assignments that luckily I didn't screw up. Yeah. And then I was hired in, in uh, June of 1990. I was hired as a 25-year-old staff photographer working for Neil Life at the National Sports Daily. And for one year until we folded because our owner went through $100 million in 18 months, I covered, I covered the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the World Series, and tons of stuff in between working with a great group of people, putting out an incredible product. And that really got me going, got me to meet a lot of people and got me to where I really wanted to try and do sports if I could. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty. I I can't imagine getting a call from Neil Leifer saying he liked your portfolio. You must have been on clock. He woke me up. He woke me up, of course, because he's in New York and I'm in California. He would phone at like 7 (laughs) a.m. And um, and of course, I'm asleep because I'm a young punk. And and uh and he he was amazing to work with super loyal guy i mean we still talk uh, mm-hmm. to this day and stuff and he's always helpful mm-hmm. and um and then i kicked around and we went out of business in 91 and i did a temporary staff job at the associated press here in san francisco and freelance for them and mm-hmm. then my i was literally cashing uh, rainbow colored unemployment checks for a while. Hmm. And then that was, what was that? Two thirty a week. Yeah. Two thirty a week back in 92. I remember, hmm. um, having to fill out all the paperwork for that. Yeah. And, um, then I took a local newspaper job that was the worst job I ever had in my life, but I needed the work. And after eight months of just hell working there in the summer of 93, I decided to quit and just really try the freelance thing. I had been doing some freelance work mm. at the same time I was working there. And I got gotten my foot in the door at Sports Illustrated and also was doing work for the Upper Deck uh, Card Company oh, wow. in Southern California. And uh, so basically since, since uh, the summer of 93, I've been on my own as a freelancer. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I guess, like, um, when you kind of first started working with SI and freelancing and things, um, what were kind of some of the first assignments you were doing for them, I guess? Or how how does that work, actually? Does, I guess, back then um, with SI, do they kind of call you up and ask you to cover a game, or are you kind of just shooting stuff? Yeah, up? you know, I was, I was, what happened was SI back then had... They didn't have. They only had a few staff photographers. Um, they had back then. They had what they called contract photographers, mm. and they were legends. And their guys on the West Coast um, were all based in Southern California. They had they had Robert Beck. They had Peter Reed Miller, John McDonough, yep. Richard Maxson, and VJ Lavero. And they were all in Southern California. Mm. They didn't really have anyone up here, mm. and so. It was lucky timing for me that on assignments where they were looking to save a little money, um, it started with a lot of baseball. The Giants were good in 93. And so 
they knew that I did good baseball and Laurel Frankel was the baseball editor at the time. And so she gave me some giants games and there'd be times, a lot of times when, again, this was a different time when there was money where there'd be multiple photographers at just a single baseball game. And one or two of the guys from LA would come up and I would be the local guy who would work with them. So I would shoot like overhead or from wow. the outfield or somewhere different wow. while the main superstar guys would shoot from the field mm. and I'd pick them up from the airport. And I would also be the guy that goes to the airport that puts the raw chrome on the red eye to, to Newark and ship the film and stuff. Wow. And then there'd be a lot of just real minor assignments that I would just do by myself. And, you know, same with football games, 49er games, a big playoff game there'd be five of us. And, but then sometimes when it was just a minor assignment for like one picture of a certain player, mm. uh, especially like during the exhibition season or whatever, I'd go by myself. And okay. so you get your foot in the door until they really trust you because this was, this was a, a different period where it's in the early to mid nineties. Glossy magazine had to have Chrome for reproduction Unless it was like a picture of Bigfoot on fire, they, they're not going to run bad color neg. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and digital wasn't really there yet. And so they needed, they needed my film shot on Fuji Chrome that was shipped on that red eye from Candlestick Park. Wow. Because that's what they needed for reproduction. Mm. The transmitted picture from the Associated Press. Mm from color night film would look like garbage yeah. in the glossy magazine back then. The paper, you got to realize the paper was way better back then. They printed on because there was more money then. Oh yeah. So the paper was better. The reproduction was better. Everything was better. And the Chrome, you needed the Chrome. Mm. And so they really needed their own photographers. And also the whole, deal was they wanted their own original special content that you couldn't get anywhere else. Okay. So they wanted their photographers and that was, you know, that's the golden age of photojournalism when, when newspapers or magazines want their own, own people. Mm. And so I just start, you know, and I would do a little of everything. I did a lot of baseball and football and the Raiders moved back in 95. So suddenly from LA, so suddenly we're back to two football teams and they rarely played on this at home on the same Sunday. They kind of, their schedules dovetailed. So there's basically a game in the Bay area every Sunday. And I shot almost pretty much every one of them for, you know, one reason or another, you know, it wasn't, sometimes it was game coverage. A lot of times it's a feature on this players in from out of town or this or that or whatever. Hmm. And, um, and, and then a lot of times I'm, I'm shooting for upper deck. I would shoot, this, you know, the base assignment, you know, shooting trading cards for upper deck. Yeah. Wow. This is like, shooting and this is por- all, por- chrome. this is all, and this, and this is all Chrome. Damn. Um, you know, all shoot and ship raw film. You huh. can't miss, you can't bracket, you can't screw it up. Cause were you, because, cause before you started working with SI, were you shooting a lot of Chrome at that point or were you? Yeah. Kind of, see that's, yeah, I didn't bring that up. One thing I was lucky in the, in the eighties, the good newspapers that did color, you had to shoot Chrome to get good reproduction. Okay. So I was lucky in 87 when I started interning, we shot Fuji Chrome RDP, the best Fuji Chrome there was okay. at my newspaper. So I was shooting Fuji Chrome yeah, so you're in 1987, 88. Mm. And so 
I shot a lot of Chrome then. And then when I was working for Neil Life at the national in 1991, mm. we did a lot of deadline stuff on color neg that was developed in dark rooms at the stadiums. Yep. But we also did feature work that was shot on Chrome. Mm. And back then, you know, everyone, every photographer had a Minolta light meter around their neck and you just, you had to know how to shoot Chrome if yeah. you were working for these clients and you had, you know, would, uh, would you guys be doing, and there wasn't Photoshop and there wasn't Photoshop to help you. And you, you know, you had to nail it. Would you guys be doing clip tests or not even? Oh no, no, no. You can't do a clip test. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 That's true. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. No, you're everywhere. Your front lit, your back lit, your side lit. You're, yeah. you're everywhere. Yeah. That makes you got, sense. You got, you got white guys, black guys, this guy, dark helmets, white helmets, yep. white uniforms, dark uniforms. He's got to be spot it's, on. The, 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 you got clouds coming over. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, you just have to know it, but you get to the point where you just know, mm -hmm. you know, the backlit batter at Candlestick Park from outside first late in the game, you know, that's 504 plus one, yep. you know, um, if you could see the eyes, it's a thousand and four normal front lit after four o'clock when the sun's down on, under the eyes, it's thousand and four normal, Yeah, you know, and you just, you just know, or sometimes there'd be a great play at the plate and you shoot it and then you pull the film. I'd scratch it with a key and I'd hold it separately and I'd watch the replay as much as I could to see when the, you know, did the, did the helmet fly off? Was there sun on the face or not when the tag was made? Because that would dictate mm. if I push it a stop, a half a stop or normal yeah. based on what I shot it at. Yeah, it just kind and of... you, you just, it's crazy. And you drive yourself nuts because <laughs> then you got to drive to the San Francisco airport, to United Air Cargo or Continental Air Cargo, put it on the plane. Damn. And then you got to try and sleep. And then in the morning, generally you never hear from anybody. Yeah. You'd only hear from them if you screwed up. True. And so you're hoping, and then, you know, you'd call, say, Hey, Hey, how's that picture looked? And, and more than likely they'd say, Oh, that's fine. But you know, we killed the story. Yeah. Plank and they'd hang up. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. I didn't, I mean, I didn't even think of that. Like you spend all this time shooting this stuff. But you don't. You're not. You're the photographer. But you don't even see your own image until after the fact. And that's that's just amazing to hear because you don't even think about that nowadays. Because people are like, no, you don't. No, you're scared. You you go to the airport. <laughs> you know, a given foot. You know, these. You know, this is when cameras were five frames a second or seven frames a second. Yeah. You'd go to the airport and you'd have like twenty rolls of film or whatever. <laughs> yeah. In a bag, in an SI bag, it says you know plus one or plus one and a third or whatever, mm. and it gets put in like a pizza box looking thing at air cargo and you fill out the air bill and then you call Bob Ryan, the courier in New York, say, Hey Bob, I guess Brad, I got, yeah. you know, I got Falcons at 49ers, blah, 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 United air bill, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six yep. coming on United 78 and, you know, rise at Newark at six fifteen tomorrow morning. And so once, once the courier's got the number, then you're off the hook and yeah. it's his job to track it. If the plane crashes or whatever, and, and then you're done. And Damn. then Bob picks it up and brings it to the Time Life Lab while you're sleeping. And and you're just hoping, man, that I didn't screw up. And <laughs> and you know, after a while, you you know your exposures. So yep. you know your exposures fine. But then it's 
focus. You're just hoping yeah. everything. Yeah. 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 You know, did the umpire block me? Is it because you can't, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Of course, we didn't know what we were missing because we had never shot digital and been able to look at True. pictures in the back of the camera. So, yep. so <laughs> it'd it be hard to go backwards nowadays. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know? um, and, you know, looking at all your work, I know you shot all types of different sports, but you're most well-known for your baseball. Um, has baseball always been kind of your favorite sport to photograph since you started? And what do you think it is about baseball that you're kind of you enjoy it most? Yeah, baseball, I was always, uh, as a kid, baseball was my favorite sport. I was always a big fan of the San Francisco Giants. Um, it was a sport I always think I knew the most about. Um, it, to me, is one of the most challenging sports to make a good picture at. I mean, so many photographers, especially if you don't shoot it a lot, mm-hmm. you hate it. You mm-hmm. just hate it because it's, cause the joke is, baseball game, nothing ever happens. But you know, it's, yeah. it's, you go to a game and nothing ever happens, but then when it does, it happens real fast. And if you're not paying attention, you miss it and you are just so screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not paying attention or talking to your buddy next to you or whatever, or it happens and you just happen to be on the wrong side of the field or you're blocked or whatever. Mm. And there's, you know, there's, uh, the good news is a lot of times, you know, there's a game every day and, you know, you go out today and, and you have a bad game or nothing happens, but then there's tomorrow and something happens. Um, mm. You know, you, by knowing the game and, and thinking, you know, have an idea, maybe, Oh, this guy is a pull hitter or this guy goes the other way. And so you sit on infielders and wait for dives or knowing who has a good arm, mm. who has a bad arm, where a play might be a third or second or, or just knowing you know, a lot of times it was, um, you go to a game, you're doing a feature on a certain hitter and, you know, where does this hitter look good from this is if it's a right-handed hitter, does he look best from third base? Does he have a really good turn or does he go the other way a lot? If he goes the other way a lot, I want to go to first base. Mm. Um, you know, now we have these guys that are wearing these God awful C flaps that cover half their face. Oh yeah. So like Giancarlo Stanton, I just shot him in Oakland this week and, he's got one and you, you really can't shoot him from third base because he's got a nice turn, but you can't see his face. And yeah. So you got to shoot him from first base and hope he goes the other way. And I did the other night and he went the other way real nice. You mm-hmm. get a nice swing. You can see his face. But you got to know the players, you know, and then it helps to work with great editors that understand mm-hmm. what they need. And that's what we always had at SI yeah. back, uh, back in the glory days when we had a lot of editors, and you'd get a lot of days to shoot. I worked with Nate Gordon, who was my baseball editor there for, God, like 13 or 14 years. And, and uh, you know, Nate was amazing. I'd do spring training for him for several weeks in Arizona every year. And, you know, he needs uh, like a really great picture of a certain guy. And you go to a spring training game and a guy's only going to get two at-bats. And you'd go and he strikes out and walks or he pops up or he does something. Yeah. So I don't have any good pictures. It's not my fault. Yeah. Nate knows that. So mm. you go back and you shoot them again and, and, mm. you know, and, and there's only so much you can do. Yeah. That's um, interesting. If, in- if you're working, if you're working with an editor who doesn't understand the game, they're going to say, well, how come you don't have any good pictures? It's like, <laughs> well, because he struck out and he popped up. And when he popped up, he looked up in the air. You can't use that picture. Cause anyone that knows anything about baseball to look at and say, well, it popped, he popped up. up. Yeah, it's not, you know? it's not a home run or a hit or nothing. 
Uh, and if a guy swings and misses, you can tell in his eyes that he swung and missed, that he didn't hit the ball. Mm-hmm. You can't use a picture when someone swings and misses, but people that don't know the game use swing and miss pictures all the time. Yep. And you can tell, and it's bad. Oh, it's, yeah. It's not, not good. I have a similar thing. You know, I started off, um, I shot a lot of skateboarding when I first started. And the, oh, thing, cool. the thing with skateboarding is if you're not a skateboarder and you don't understand how the trick should be performed exactly. and how, how it should look like anybody who's a skateboarder and looks, it's kind of people talk about all the time, like a newspaper photographer will shoot skateboarding, but they shoot it in a way that you can tell the guy is like falling or he's not doing the trick. Right, 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 right. So I kind, know what you're saying. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. Cause it is, it's a, it's just a knowledge of the game and knowing how it should look and kind of present it, I guess. Um, okay, skateboarding. I'm an old guy, and yep. I don't know a lot about skateboarding. Yep. But tell me, you know about Glenn E. Friedman? Oh yeah, he's a legend. See, I lo- I have all his books. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, he's amazing. Oh my god. Yeah, one he of- is. I I don't know him. <laughs> I have all his books. I got his new greatest compilation, gigantic heavy book that came out last year. Oh yeah. I have fuck you too, fuck you heroes. <laughs> Docktown, Z Boys stuff. Everything. He is Yeah, all his music stuff and skating <sighs> and everything. Yeah, it's just it's uh just raw and uh this like this classic photography. You gotta love that. I mean, oh my god. Yeah, it it, it is amazing. Um and you know, I guess the kinda a couple more questions about baseball is kinda curious when when you're for sorry, sorry about the sidetrack. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, 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 that's great. Bring up anything you want, I love it. Um it's uh but one thing I was kinda curious about when you're shooting a baseball game, um, do you kinda have a routine on like how you kinda approach each game? Like how early do you arrive? Do you kind of have a plan of like what you're trying to photograph for that game or how do you kind of approach each? You know, it's a, it's a great question. And it really, uh, it really depends. Every day is different. Um, you know, it depends on, uh, who you're working for that day, Mm -hmm. who's playing, um, if the sun's out or not, uh, if it's a one o'clock start or a five o'clock start or a four o'clock start, where's the light? Um, years ago, the answer was always, if I was shooting the Giants, if Bonds is in the lineup or not. Because yeah. if Bonds is in the lineup, he dictated everything. <laughs> and and then it's, but then it's, uh, you know, certain, if so-and-so is pitching, and you, you know, there's times when a certain special pitcher is pitching, and you might only see this pitcher one time a year, and you want to shoot him, from a different spot every inning. Mm-hmm. And so you game plan, okay, I'm going to start for me, but you don't know this pitcher could get knocked out in the second inning yep. or third inning. So you pant. So you, you, you like, okay, I got to shoot from here. The first thing. And, and you, and so, I mean, I'm a freak all like at night when I'm laying in bed, I'll go through my game plan. Like, okay, I got to start here, start here. And, and, and we're lucky in our two ballparks here in Oakland and San Francisco, we can move around a lot. Okay. We can go behind the plate. We can go, you know, if you're a Yankee Stadium, you are screwed. You're out either you're outside first or outside third. Yeah. That's it. There's yeah. no inside. You can't go in the stands. It'll throw your ass out. Oh wow! It's East Coast. It's hardcore. Hard- um, the photographers there are awesome people, mm-hmm. and they they have a very tough job. And, and here in the Bay Area, we can do whatever we want. We I, have tons of photo positions. That's good. And so, you know, I could shoot this this guy from outside first, mm. inside first. 
you know, inside third, outside third, overhead, behind the plate, you know, we, we could do whatever we want. Same in San Francisco. And, you know, or if it's a hitter, same thing, you know, do I, am I, or, or the light, you know, and, and the light changes. Now we're in September. I'm shooting the A's tomorrow and the mm. light is now finally getting pretty good where mm. normally I would never shoot from first base in Oakland before three o'clock because oh. it's just nasty. I yeah. would always shoot backlit from third base, but now the sun is getting lower in the southern sky, so I'm gonna. I'm. I'm sound like a complete geek. But this is how <laughs> I, I love. Shoot. I love it. I, I love shoot, it. <laughs> I can shoot. I'm gonna shoot from first base early in the game tomorrow because the sun is actually gonna be low enough to get under the helmets. That's because, great. You know, and 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 then a lot depends on on what uniforms they're wearing. Like the A's have home whites that are gorgeous, but then sometimes there were these dark green tops that are a nightmare. And years ago, they used to have an alternate top that was black. Uh, and we'd have to shoot chrome. This is where we shoot chrome. They just, white just, pants, <laughs> white pants, black shirt, black hat, black guy. Yeah. Nightmare. Yeah. And it was just, it, and this is in June. When the, and, you know, and it's just, so then you pray for overcast. Mm. And if you don't get the overcast, then you just, then your pictures are just complete garbage unless they go extra innings. Yeah. So then you're just praying for a long, slow game. So the sun keeps dropping and you get good light. I mean, it's, mm. it's crazy. I mean, and then there's times when you get a six o'clock start and you know, you're going to get one inning of sun on the mound Yep. and you know, the, you know, you, I mean, I know, you know, the, based on before and after the solstice on June 21st, <laughs> How much time we're going to get one inning or two innings of sun on the mound. Yep. And I got this guy and that guy, and I want to shoot him from here and there because this light is screaming and then it's gone. And where do we go? And, and it's, it's, uh, so it's nuts and I'm nuts. And it's, it's, um, <laughs> yeah. it's cause it's all about the light and planning and what you want because you really want to, especially that you have certain teams that you only see once a year yeah. now with the schedule mm-hmm. and you know, you and and then it depends on the who you're shooting for. You know, the with SI back in the day, you would do these stories on one guy. Okay. And so you would just, you know, say you're doing a story on a certain shortstop where you're just gonna, you want this guy diving and he looks best from inside mm. third or inside first, and you're just gonna sit on him. Yeah. The whole game, and of course, whenever you do that, not one ball ever gets hit to him. <laughs> yeah. But that's, but you need to do that and. uh yeah, it's interesting. You know. Yeah, it's interesting to hear because it's like, yeah, it, it, the lights different certain times of the year. Every ballpark's different. Um, you know, this is kind of like a side uh, comment, but I went to Yankee Stadium uh, last month for the first time, and I didn't realize there the bullpen. The pitchers don't the they don't sit in the bullpen. They sit in a room inside. That's like you don't even. Yes. Yes. It, yes. it, it, it this seems so odd to me. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like every park. Every park has its own nutty little things, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, like I've, I mean, I've shot there a bunch, and it's funny because, like, say you're at third base and you're a photographer, and you want to move to first base, you can only do it at the end of a full inning. You can't do it like in the middle of an inning. Okay. Um, you know, which is just that's new york yep. you know you know here we can move you know you could move, move every half inning you could do whatever you want mm-hmm. um you know and it used to be like at mets now it's more lax but at mets once when city field opened if you want to go from first to third you had to go through the stands they mm. wouldn't let you go on the field you know every park is different yeah and it depends on stadium ops and people just get paranoid and so many of these places they uh 
And photographers always get treated like garbage. Oh. Just, oh, photographers are just the lowest scum of the earth. Yep, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, and the thing is, the team photographers, like Ariel's the team photographer at the Yankees and Mark Levine at the Mets, great people. And these photographers, they bust their ass and try and help us. And yep. there's only so much they can do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 uh, Every team has their own policies. The Cubs, Wrigley Field, this this year, they redid the dugouts and redid the photo positions. And Steve Green's been their photographer since the early '80s, and he he's the king of Wrigley Field and, a, and an amazing guy. Yeah. And they did things without consulting him, and they lost a ton of photo positions. I mean, we were there for the World Series a few years ago, but we were able to fit quite a few people yeah. outside first and outside third, and they lost a ton of room because they didn't consult. Dang. I mean, it's so bad even TV's unhappy. Yeah. And, you know, it's just every park is different. That's tough. We're you... very lucky here. We're very lucky here. Yeah, Giant Stadium's amazing. I've been there once before. All the uh, how it's right on the water, and you see the guy. That's oh, real pretty. I, I love the guys. And, I love the guys that sit in the kayak and they wait for the ball to go out. Yeah, there and then they, it's great. <laughs> um, do you have what are kind of some of your favorite uh, parks to shoot in? You think? Um, Seattle, Safeco Field in Seattle is awesome. We used to go up there a lot. It opened. I was there when it first opened. It opened right after the All-Star Game in 99. Mm-hmm. And then when they were really good in 2000, we were up there a lot. And then Ichiro's rookie year in 2001, shot up there a bunch. And the All-Star Game in 2001 have not been up there in a long time because they've been bad. Mm. And then no one has any money to travel anymore. Um, that place is great. I mean, Wrigley's amazing. Fenway. Fenway's amazing. It used to be incredible during the postseason. They would add these um, these suicide boxes uh, between the dugouts and home plate on inside first and inside third that were just incredible, made for great pictures. But I don't think they do those anymore. Mm. Um, a lot of the, the parks they've add they've added so many seats for rich fans to bring everything closer that it's wiped out. Yeah, mathematically the the potential of adding photographers in front of the fans um um uh you know uh, here in oakland oakland is just uh it's just a pit but it's like it's our pit it's like you're shooting in your own backyard (laughs) security guys have been there forever i mean i've been shooting there since 1987 it's like the place you grew up in and michael zagaris is the team photographer and he's a legend and yeah. He's made it such a way that we can just do whatever we want. Yeah. And you can just do whatever. I mean, it's it's the only park in baseball that doesn't have a fence in front of the dugout. So, mm. like, if you look on my website, I have a whole gallery that says in the dugout. And basically, before games, we'll sit on the dugout steps and okay. bullshit, with, bullshit with the players and take these great candid pictures of all the guys yeah. hanging out. And they'll pose for us and stuff. Well. <laughs> That doesn't happen anywhere else in the country. Yeah. But Oakland. And and it's like the guys know it and they kinda roll with it and and, and you try that at Yankee Stadium, they'd shoot you. And um, and those and those are some photos I think fans and people that love baseball, they wanna see that stuff because it's like oh, the, they're great. it's like an inside look of like this those kind of real moments and it's not just exactly. your your standard the action stuff's great, everyone loves it, but it is cool to get a little more personality behind it. I mean, these. I'll shoot that stuff before a game mm-hmm. and then it's like I don't care what I get during the game. None of it's gonna beat the <laughs> yeah. stuff before the game. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 always so much fun. Mm-hmm. And um yeah and that's oakland that's yeah. 
we're able to do in Oakland. It's so relaxed, yeah. and um, you know, and that's that makes it special. Yeah. Um, do, do you have you like, know, Do you have like a favorite era, like of shooting, either maybe the Giants or the A's? I guess, like looking back, I mean, you've shot so much, but is there like an era or team that you really kind of maybe just enjoyed covering more than others? You think? You know, it's it's hard to say. The one goofy thing I'll tell you is, and I'm sure most photographers as they get older will tell you this is that you look back and I look back at pictures I made when I was younger and I'm going to strangle that young photographer for oh, not yeah. being smarter or better. Like I, the, the giants last year at Candlestick park was 1999. They mm-hmm. moved into their new park in, in 2000. And so I shot at Candlestick from 87 to 99. And most of that was all Chrome. Yep. And I, the light there was great late the way that this ballpark was situated, the positions were insane because we had outside first and third. And then there was an old school backstop. You could shoot behind the entire backstop directly behind the plate for pitchers. If you wanted, you could do whatever you wanted, Mm. tons of room, go wherever you wanted. And, you know, I was an okay photographer then. And I looked because I've had thousands of of slides scanned of mine from my archive, which now has over a hundred thousand, um, pictures in it um, in my online search world archive going back to 87. But I look and I see why, why didn't you do more of this? Why didn't you do more of that? And, Mm -hmm. and I'm such a freak. I have dreams that the giants go back to candlestick, which now doesn't (laughs) exist. And I get to shoot at candlestick, knowing what I know now Mm -hmm. and like taking advantage of these angles and this light and being able to, you know, because there was so much potential there that I didn't take advantage of because I just, I didn't know I hadn't worked with good editors a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. back then everything, everything was tight. Um, especially coming from a newspaper background or a wire service background, reproduction was bad. So everything needed to be tight. And because no one would ever run a loose, loose picture except for the magazines. And I was just getting used to that, that like at SI later, I got really good at, you know, you shoot, you know, uh, uh, a scene setter as uh, Steve Fine, the great legendary director of photography would tell us, you know, I want to see a sense of place, sense of time, sense of history. Yeah. So you would shoot a, a wide picture that puts Barry Bonds inside the stadium. So you see where the event is taking place, but it's not just a crappy wide snapshot. It's a really thought out. I would, I would tell people I'm trying to make a painting mm. and, 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 and a lot of time and thought would be put into it. And sometimes it'd be a remote, but, I didn't do much of any of that at candlestick mm. and I don't, I have a lot of good pictures from candlestick, but I don't have a lot of pictures that say candlestick and, um, and it kills me that I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess and, uh, you just, you just, you, you get better. And I, I feel like, I feel the same way. Like I, I, like looking back when I was younger, when I was like, even just like skating with my friends, I wish I would have photographed more stuff, not just the action. I wish I would have this. Yes. Photograph- yes my exactly. Fr- no, I got you. Yeah, it's tough, but you you, you learn you you kind of I think I think you, if you stay in the game long enough, you just kind of learn that stuff to like just take a picture that you might not be that big of a deal, but in ten years it might mean more to you. Well, that's that's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's and that's that's it brings me back to a lot of the, the Glenny Friedman stuff. Yep. Yeah. Well, how did he know when he's fourteen years old? Just to shoot everything. That he's documenting history. Yeah, definitely. With the Dogtown kids. Yeah. Just like the li- the littlest things, like it'd be like this little detail of like a skateboard wheel. I mean, there's <laughs> stuff he's 
Scott of Jay Adams. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. you know, I just bought his, his book. He did. We did just, that came out like last year, just about Jay Adams. Yeah. And it's, just, it's just yeah, it's amazing. incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. And you know, yeah, it's, yeah. The shoot everything, you know, <laughs> shoot everything in sight. I think that's the kind of rule. Um, but you know, one thing I was kind of curious about being that, you know, you're like, uh, you started off like kind of as a photojournalist working for newspapers and then you're shooting for SI and sports. I was kind of curious about like, how do you approach the way that you process your photos? Cause I know, I think generally like photojournalists, they don't do a lot of retouching or things like that. Um, how, what, what kind of work do you do on your photos, um, that you're shooting generally? Well, generally, like, it was easy for years. Like, when I was working for SI all the time, mm-hmm. you know, my personally, I would do nothing because we shot raw and okay. just would ship and they would, you know. Yeah. So the end result was just them doing whatever they need to do to the raw file to make it uh, reproduce in, in the glossy magazine. Yeah. Um, I do whatever I do to try and make my pictures look good on the internet, uh, for my website. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, because I have a photojournalism background, you know, I don't remove things or okay. add things or whatever. You okay. know, I, yeah. I just, I try and make them look presentable. I do the old school stuff. Um, like that we used to do in the dark. I mean, in the eighties with black and white, I mean, Oh my God. If you look at some original prints from newspapers, the dodging, burning and bleaching was just insane, but newspaper reproduction was horrible. I mean, there were some newspapers that had 65 line screens and I would tell people you would, you would, what you would do, you would look at a print and then squint real hard. And that would kind of give you an idea of what it would look like. And so the actual print might look like just, giant halos around heads and crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. But by the time it would show up in the paper, you needed to do that to mm-hmm. make it look presentable yep. in a crappy newspaper. Um, and that's just the way, if you look at an old POI book from the eighties and I have all the POI books, you know, there it was this big grain contrast, dodge, burn and bleach, but that was the look then, you know, I, I do a little dodging and burning. I try and do not much, mm-hmm. but that was like darkroom acceptable uh, when I put stuff on my on my um, on my website. But you know, it's not like I am. I was ever the end, uh, you know, toner or whatever for any of my pictures that were published. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. I was just always kind of curious about that because I, I didn't I didn't come from like a photo journalism um, background really. I was more kind of I went to school for photography, but. Sure, a sure, lot of sure. my stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll use the clone tools sometimes and things like that, but it always is, right. kind of, I'm always interested in how people kind of approach it, but that kind of makes yeah, sense. Yeah, my stuff, like, because of my background and what I've always done, like, every mm-hmm. picture on my website is mm-hmm. is real. No, I, it, it's, it's, it's there. I like it. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, one thing when I emailed you to set up this interview, I was really excited to talk to you about was besides your baseball stuff, I see you do a lot of golf photography. It seems like over the last couple of years, you've done some cool stuff with the PGA. Um, Is golf photography something you've done for a while or how did that kind of come about for you? That was a a new thing that started a couple of years ago where I, I was one of the early adapters to using um, iPhones for photography. I started doing 
tons of iPhone work in 2012 during the 2012 baseball season, mm. back when Instagram was pretty new and back when Instagram was mostly used for iPhone pictures, for just sharing iPhone pictures. And so I did was doing Instagram baseball in 2012, was working with my editor, Nate Gordon at SI, telling him, hey, I want to get this published. Mm. He and Steve Fine, our director, loved the idea. And in July of 2012, something that was just unprecedented at the time, SI published six pages of my baseball iPhone Instagrams, um, six pages, three double trucks. It was a total of 18 square baseball pictures, all shot with my iPhone 4S, which at the time was the best phone out there. And then that that fall, I signed a contract to publish a book, which came out Mm. in spring of 2013 called Instant Baseball. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of people saw what I was doing. I kept doing it. And so a few years ago, um, this awesome photographer, Karen Levy, who was the director of photography for the PGA tour mm. based in Ponte Vedra beach, Florida, she had always followed what I did with the iPhone and she herself, who she used to do incredible work for SI and a lot of other publications in the eighties and nineties and really specialized in tennis. Mm. She wanted to hire me um, to come down to their big event that the PGA tour hosts in May, the uh, players championship down at TPC Sawgrass. They hire extra freelancers for that event because it's such a huge deal for them. And she thought it'd be fun to have me come on my iPhone and do work for their social media. So in, uh, let's see, in 2016, they brought me down as a one shot deal to use my iPhone and do some work. And I told her, I said, if we do this, you know, she has a wonderful staff of mm. photographers, um, Stan Batts and Chris Condon, and she uses a lot of other freelancers. I says, I'm not bringing my real cameras. I'm only doing what I do. Wow. And she agreed. And so it was really funny because I have a lot of buddies that I saw down there, SI guys and everyone, and they, and their, it's hot and everyone's sweating and got their 400 and they're carrying <laughs> they're carrying everything and i'm there with an iphone <laughs> and then a backup battery and a cord in my pocket and but they let me do whatever i wanted i did a lot of behind the scenes stuff i just really had a fall mm. and they liked it and they kept hiring me for a few different events and what started as one event ended up being eight events over two years and the last one i did was the president's cup in uh, Jersey City last October. That's all the por- and, portraits, um, right? Yeah, I did portraits with the new iPhone 8 Plus. Yeah, 8 Plus with the, the uh, portrait lighting mode where I, I did a project for them where I shot um, got players and wives and girlfriends and fans. And then I shot three presidents. Yeah, you shot. I was going to ask you, you shot Obama, Bush, and, Cl- sh- and Clinton was all in, Clinton. The, in one day. Within three minutes of each other on that's the ins- first T-Box. That's insane. <laughs> it was scary as hell. I yeah, was just, it was. Uh, they were all super cool. Um, that was uh, that was unreal with my iPhone. Um, but um, I have a lot of fun with it. I still do my Instagram account. You know, since since I started, it's, Instagram has changed for a lot of people. There's so many amazing photographers that use it beautifully for like their portfolio or whatever with, you know, pictures they obviously shoot with their real cameras. Mm. Back when I started, it was mostly for mobile phone photography. So I've kept it that way. Um, my Instagram account is, uh, I feel at this point I can't change it. So it's only iPhone stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so I still do. I've done, I did a few baseball pictures this week. Um, I'm a I'm a tight editor, and I'm one of those people that hates everything I shoot. So <laughs> I, I I have to really like something to post it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Um, so it's usually something I shoot at a game or a picture of one of my two cats, Mike and Willie. Oh. And um, and uh, but I still you know it's we all got into this because photography is fun, and it's uh yeah I I still get a rush out of you know picking a picture that I like and then going through Snapseed and, and toning it and mm. cropping it and making it look like I want it. And then, you know, you're publishing to the world. It's always still exciting to me to, to, to publish a picture on Instagram and then, you know, show people what you're up to. Yeah, definitely. You kind of get feedback sometimes and yeah, it's definitely kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, the, the iPhone stuff was really cool, especially like, I think it's really cool that the PGA had you go down there and just shoot iPhone. Cause I think a lot of times people could think of golf as kind of like this hoity toity sport, which I mean, it kind of is to a certain degree, but it is kind of cool to hear they're doing kind of creative stuff like that, you know? Well, it was fun. They, they really supported what I was doing. They were great to work with. And, and I had a ball because it, it was, they gave me complete freedom and they, they trusted me and you know, the quality is amazing. And I've been doing it so long. You have to get over what you, you can't get complain about, well, I can't shoot, you know, obviously you can't shoot long lens action with an iPhone. Yeah. So you know that. So you just, you see the world differently, you, but you realize what you can do. You can do great, pretty pictures. You can do great details. Some stuff you make black and white. You, mm -hmm. It's great for behind. I would do this behind the scenes locker room stuff. That was cool. I love it. You got, and, you, had, you had Matt Kuchar. He's in the locker room. Yeah. Cause I, I, I'm a big golf fan. I love that stuff. This, the, oh, okay. the, the detail, okay. the detail stuff. And it, it was just like a perspective you never see. Right. I love that. And and it's like, and I look like just kind of a goofball because I'd have, <laughs> I would have the, the golf credentials. They have all these different letters on them and stuff that yeah. each group of letters means you can get into sure. this area and that area and that area and that area. Well, I, cause I was working for the tour, you know, I had access to every, you know, I had access to the locker room. I had access, I had total access. Yeah. And but I had a phone <laughs> and I'd have, I'd be like, you know, laying down with the camera on the, with the phone on the ground, you know, at a tee box mm -hmm. and, and there's, you know, old senior citizen volunteers yelling at me because they think yeah, there's, there's no fan. way I haven't, I have an inside the ropes path, yeah, but I do. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, they have no way of knowing or caring, but I, I would, you know, think to myself you know i'm a real photographer you know i've been doing this for over 30 years you know but you know they don't care yeah because I, I look like an idiot yeah because um, how how did the player like the golfers react because you photographed like jordan speed jack nicholas like ricky fowler yeah. like like these these guys have all been photographed by like the biggest portrait photographers I, in the world in the world like a million times like when you showed up how did they kind of react to it did they think it was cool we just told them well a lot of guys kind of geeked out because we were doing the phone was brand new and the, the, the lighting thing we were doing that made the background black was super gimmicky. Yep. So the younger photographers, I would, you know, I would only shoot like three frames of each guy. Yep. And then I'd show them and said, see, look what we're doing. They'd be like, Oh wow, that's cool. <laughs> you know, I didn't do that with Jack Nicholas cause he's Jack Nicholas. He would have yelled at me, yeah. but, um, but a lot in the, the, same thing with the players, wives, and girlfriends. They were into it, and I would let them pick the one they liked. Yep. Um, 
stuff like that. And um, the one that I had to uh, um, um, reshoot a lot was uh, Wayne Gretzky's daughter. Oh, Paulina Gretzky. She, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she made me reshoot it several times because she didn't like the way they were turning out. <laughs> she's in, um, she's big on Instagram. Yeah, but I, I, I finally got one that she approved of, so that was good. That's awesome. No, I loved it. That was good. And, uh, you know, one thing I also was going to want to talk to you about was, uh, you started a website called sports shooter. Um, how did that kind of come about and what was kind of your initial goal? Starting yeah, that was a, a long time ago. It seems like ancient history. Um, uh, a friend, Robert Hanashiro, staff photographer with USA Today started a newsletter in the late nineties. Um, back when the internet was kind of new, uh, it was an email newsletter just about sports photography and then met some other friends that decided let's build a website, put all the stories on a website and then have members and mm. all this kinds of stuff. And it started in June of 2002. And it was an amazing thing for a long time because this was my friend Grover Sansegren was the brains behind it. And Jason Burfield uh, built a lot of the, the guts of the site. And then Joe Gosen was a, was a big help also in building the site and maintaining the site. Mm. And we, Grover's idea, he told me, he says, I'm going to build a com an online community, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And this is before, you know, this was before Facebook, before Friendster, before anything, before blogs, before Twitters, before social media. There was nothing. Mm -hmm. And he created this living, breathing community with a message board and, and classified ads and all this stuff. And we really brought a community together that, really helped a lot of people get jobs and and get their portfolios looked at and a lot of stuff folder sh photo was, shelter right well they ended up they ended up being the guy some of the main guys grover was okay. um, and jason that founded photoshop that's what i thought yeah. and and um so uh anyway so the site is still exists it mm -hmm. we don't do it's kind of an ongoing thing where, where we have none of us have time to do we unfortunately we don't do much of much with it at all anymore and the world has changed mm -hmm. because for a million reasons um, um but it was uh, in its heyday for about seven or eight years it was it was a huge deal that got huge traffic and oh, yeah. helped a lot of people we're always proud of that i know when i was in college i went to rat and like a lot of the photojournalism kids they they always were up on there this like when they were shooting sports they'd put their stuff up on there and it was kind of cool it's like a little community of like people with this right with a similar interest and kind of share well especially it. before social media before you know it's the time is you know before before Facebook, before, you know, MySpace, before, you know, Twitter, Instagram, before, you know, it was like a way of sharing information. And we helped a lot of kids. We helped a lot of kids. Oh, yeah. We, I personally helped a lot of kids through that site. And a lot of kids got jobs and internships through it. And and the message board was very active. It was very toxic for some people. Um, mm. And uh, a lot of people crashed and burned. uh by not knowing how to act in public uh, <laughs> arenas, but it it was a it was a it was a really fun thing for a long time, and uh, I just know that we did help a lot of people. No, that's awesome. Like anytime you can kind of, I mean, looking at your website, it looks like you, you you've done a lot of speaking at different schools and things. Is like kind of sharing your knowledge of photography, something you kind of enjoy doing with like younger photographers and things like that. Oh, it's fun. No, I I. 
I really enjoy that. I really, it's, it's uh, anytime you get to be around mm-hmm. young photographers that are just so passionate and into it and want to learn it's, um, and then to see the work that young people are doing, it's just, it's, uh, it's just incredible. The, the stuff that's going on right now. And, 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 uh, and you see how, how much times have changed and, you know, style, you know, it's like, you know, you then, then you start to feel real old and you see, <laughs> The, the way you know the way young people see the world and the way they see things and it's different and it's exciting and it's it's a you know it's it's a, a reason why you know if if i was king and and was able to hire photographers you know i would want to hire you know there's i would want to hire some people that have been around for a while but i'd want to hire some of these young photographers because mm-hmm. they're incredible and they really bring so much to, to whoever they, they work for, mm. um, because they, God, they got the ideas and the energy and, um, and they, they look at things a lot differently because they've just grown up with a computer or iPhone their whole lives. And they, they, they're able to tackle things and not like, Oh, we can't do that. Yeah. And it's, um, it's very different than the way we were. Yeah, it is because like uh, I mean, I would imagine like since you started like with uh, like I was saying before with the age of digital, anybody can pick up a camera. But at least for me, I think it's the people that really have a passion for it and keep like pushing themselves. Those are the ones that are kind of going to succeed, I guess. Um, but how has the business kind of changed since you got into it? You think it's a lot harder. It's it's for doing just sports it's basically disappeared mm-hmm. um unless unless you you you're you're married and your spouse has a great job or mm-hmm. a relative leaves you a big inheritance or something it's uh <laughs> it's, tough. it's you know when i started the big thing was um don't sign bad contracts and keep your copyright mm-hmm. and i did my best to not signing bad contracts and I've kept my copyright mm-hmm. and um, my copyright was supposed to be mean that I own my pictures and my uh, archive would be like my retirement. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but because of the way the world has gone and corporations have ruined everything and, and the way the wire services and people like Getty images have made our pictures worthless pictures that used to license for, hundreds of dollars that now licensed for $10 or $5 or a nickel. Um, my archive, which this week pushed over a hundred thousand images that are searchable um, on my website, going back to 1987. It's like, it's like owning stocks that crashed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, they're worthless pretty much. Um, because, because with the sports photography now, it's basically essentially Getty and AP basically run that market essentially. Not it's not just that it's it's the fly by night wire services um, icon USA Today sports images which used to be US Press Wire mm-hmm. Cal Sport all these and, and so many more where you have people that have full time jobs yep. especially here in the Bay Area you have rich people in the Silicon Valley that come out and work for free just for the thrill because it's cheaper than season tickets mm-hmm. they have better cameras Six. than I do yeah and they get to sit in the front row and they get to shoot pictures and they don't give a shit if they're to make a dime yeah. and they upload pictures that don't make any money or make a nickel, but they don't care. And so they flood the sites yeah. with these pictures and then they're 
their subscription-based images, package deals that all these websites license pictures from. See, the bottom line is, in the old days, the magazines and, and commercial clients and people needed Chrome. Mm-hmm. And so there was Chrome, then there was bad digital, and there was bad color neg. Now everyone uses the same camera. All the files are great. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter where they get the pictures from. And the pictures, there's no gatekeepers anymore because these sleazy sales guys at these companies cut deals with these licensees yep. where we used to get a lot of money from poster companies and calendar companies and card companies and all this stuff. They slashed deals where it's the race to the bottom and we've hit the bottom. And once prices go down, they're never going to go up. Mm-hmm. And then so many, all the young photographers gave up their copyright yep. because the, the thrill of just shooting something and they're stupid. So they gave up their copyright so then all the corporations own so many pictures. So the more pictures they own, the cheaper they can let them go for. Yep. And it just really has gone to hell. And I could spend the next 10 hours explaining <laughs> detail, but I choose not to. Nah, yeah, it's and t- it's the t- bottom line, the bottom line, the short answer that explains everything is there are very few people out there anymore who will pay you for original content mm-hmm. and a story. Yeah. And that used to be the thing is a client would hire you because they want your vision mm-hmm. of the event. Yeah. They don't just want to use a general wire picture that could run on a thousand websites tomorrow. Yeah. And a bunch of newspapers. They want Alex Gagne's look mm-hmm. at this event mm-hmm. because we like what you do and you bring something special and we want readers to come to our publication or our website or our whatever and see special content. Nobody gives a shit anymore because the the market is flooded with cheap garbage Mm -hmm. and it's good enough Mm -hmm. to run two inches by one inch on a website. Yeah, definitely. It's like frustrating. Like how you said, like any, anybody can just show up now and shoot a game but the thing that they don't understand is like yeah you can have the most expensive camera and you can probably you'll take like a photo that will work but they don't really have the knowledge of like composition and like but it doesn't uh, matter yeah it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't it's, matter yeah but i, I See, we used to in the old day in the old days at si when things were good mm-hmm. you know we get espn every sunday night yeah somewhere in this country there's a 505 West Coast start, yep. meaning 805 East Coast. If it's an East Coast game, it's a night game. Mm-hmm. It's a West Coast game. It's a 505, which means we have light. Yep. And we would get one or two of those a year in the Bay Area. Yep. I would call up Nate, say, Nate, man, we got five, we got a 5 o'clock start. Yep. And he'd be like, go, shoot mm-hmm. the light. Nice. You know, I'm shooting Chrome or whatever, or, or digital. And you just shoot the light. Mm-hmm. And, try, and it's try to get a leading off. Try and get a double truck. Yeah. Try and get, go somewhere weird, go upstairs, go somewhere weird, try and make a picture. Mm-hmm. And, and Nate would always say, make me a picture. I don't want to see a baseball card. Yeah. You know, I don't want to see the, I don't want to see what's on the wire. I want to see something special. Exactly. And I had a great editor driving me. Yep. And what happens now, and Nate works, he's a direct photography at the Players Tribune now, and he sees the wires, and he sees everything. And, and I hear this from him and other people. Now, since no one is paying, and, and there's just a few legit wires out there, 
all the stuff's the same because everyone is shooting from first base or third base or whatever. No one is taking risks. No, because no one is paying anyone to take a risk yep. and make a special picture. All the crap looks the same. Mm. The special pictures are done. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough, man. But I don't know. I guess like, what? Where do you see the future going? Like, what do you see yourself doing? Do you want to keep shooting baseball, or I mean, I know you you've been doing some cool stuff with golf and the cool portraits. Could you see yourself doing more portraiture, or like, what's kind of some? I don't know. I'm I'm in big trouble right now. I I don't I I uh, I'm running out of money. I uh, <laughs> I don't know. I go to baseball games mostly to stay sane and see some good friends. Yep. Um, um, try and stay out of the funny farm. Um, yeah. Um, I'm going to go to an A's game tomorrow cause the light will be good and I'm going to get out of the house and the shoot. I'm shooting, I'm shooting for myself, for my archive, mm-hmm. for pictures that I own and, and, um, and for nobody else and fuck the man. <laughs> and, um, and, um, there needs to be a revolution Yep. and we need to burn it all down. Yeah. And, um, and it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of bad people doing a lot of bad things mm. and treating the individual artists like garbage and the individual artists need to stand up for themselves yep. and believe in what they do mm-hmm. and fight the good fight. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I had this, I and, had this, I had this last week. I had someone straight up steal my photo. It was a business, like a big business. They took my photo, they posted it on their Instagram, but didn't even credit me. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, I'm asking, you better take that shit down. And uh, they're like, well, if we give you credit, is that cool? I'm like, no, man. Like, no, no. I was like, no, you take that shit down now, or I'm just going to have my lawyer contact you because it's like you're you're a big company. You're taking my photo, didn't even ask permission, and it's like I don't – I don't need to like have my stuff associated with your brand. No. It's it's insane. I can't I can't I can't take that credit to the grocery store. I can't take yeah, exactly. it to pay my power bill. Yeah. Um, and I spent money making that photo. I might have rent, no. rented a lens and took the time to do it. And yeah, it's just it is crazy. I think it is important because, like you said, there is a lot of people that they'll just give their photos out because they think maybe in the future they'll give you a job. But it's like, no, they'll promise. No, they'll... Yeah, you got to stand up for yourself. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing is, and, and or, you know, the thing is, too many of the people, they're the, they're the hobbyists that they don't care so they, because they already have a job, so they're just thrilled yeah. with the exposure. And I've seen it. Um, or a lot of times you have a young photographer that's afraid to ask. And, and I was very lucky that I had mm-hmm. veteran photographers that were there for me yep. to ask. Yep. And, you know, I got some great advice about mm. business and, yep. you know, that, that, yeah, there are clients that'll pay $10,000 for this usage, Oh yeah, you know, or 15, you know, or whatever. And when you're young, a lot of times you don't think that your pictures are worth much. And the whole thing is, yeah, they're worth much. If they weren't worth much, then, then this client wouldn't be demanding the copyright. Yep. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> all you got to do. All you got to do is circle. all you got to do is ask. They might say no, but y- y- it doesn't hurt to ask. You know, uh, and 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 sometimes there's there's no better feeling than saying no. And to quote my dear friend Michael Zagaris, who was one of the true legends still living and working in this country today, yep. he would always tell me he'd say he would tell people clients. There are people that want to license his incredible pictures. 
he would say, I'd rather set my pictures on fire than let you use them. Yeah. And I just love that. Yeah, no, I do. I, the, the longer I've done this, I, uh, you know, I, I feel the same way. It's like, it's like I've spent, I spent years and years getting good at this and spent the time and energy to like make this work. Why should I give some corporation my stuff? But exactly. Um, but I guess, you know, enough business talk, I guess just to kind of wrap up, I was just kind of curious, like what, what kind of keeps you going with photography? What do you still enjoy about it? What kind of keeps you inspired? And um, do you kind of have any goals for your photography moving forward? You know, I love photography. I, I, uh, if you come to my, my home, you will see I have a gallery in my house, a little photo gallery of over 100 mounted and framed and signed 11 by 14 prints from different photographers, uh, local photographer friends, guys like Walter Yost and Neil Leifer and Marvin Newman. And wow. You name them. I have prints from so many different people all over my house in bathrooms, all over the place mounted and framed beautifully museum quality glass. I, I used to have gallery opening uh, parties in my house and the last several years, I don't have the extra money like I used to. I have a bunch of new ones that I need to get framed, but I can't afford it right now. I have over 500 photography books in my house. I love (laughs) photography. I'm always looking at photography. Um, In the old days, one of the, most exciting things was always to get boxes of slides back from the lab. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and, and nowadays I tell you, I, when I come back from a game, there's still nothing like dumping my cards and looking at my house. I would say looking at my film, looking <laughs> at my film and you know, uh, it's like looking at those pictures and, 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 and they're mine and I'm proud and it's, uh, you know, God damn it. It's fun. Yeah, man. It's a rush. It, it's a it, rush when you it, get a good photo. Is. Cause you know, you know, I was talking to some other photographer and he's like, he's like, you know, if I take two or three great photos a year, I think that's a good year. And I think, well, I, that's what I, what I used to tell people, I don't shoot as much baseball as I used to, but when there was money, and I would, when there was a lot of assignments, I would, sh- between spring training and everything, I would shoot mm-hmm. 80 games a year. Yep. And I would tell people, out of those 80 games, it's a lot of baseball. Oh, yeah. If I got four or five pictures I really liked. Yeah. Then I was happy. Because to me, it's like, for a picture, I always would describe it like, there's a special, like, red velvet lined box. And for a picture to make it in that box. Yep. I mean, we all make a lot of good pictures. Not great. But that special yep. one, it, boy, it's got to be, <laughs> wow. It all, all, you know? The stars aligned and it just worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, where, where you do a great job and you also get lucky in this and the shadow falls and, you know, and it's fun. And when that all happens, it's like, damn, yep. look at this. It gives you a rush and, and it keeps you going. It does. It's It's something... That, you know, we all have friends, obviously, that aren't photographers, and, and you really can't explain it to them. No, no, that's awesome. But, uh, Brad, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I, re- I really enjoyed talking to you, and you're, definitely your enthusiasm and, you know, 
passion for photography it comes through and i really appreciate your honesty and everything and i can't thank you enough um but for people listening um where's the best place to check out your work uh the best place alex to look at my stuff is manginphotography.com okay that's m-a-n-g-i-n photography.com uh, my instagram is b mangin b m-a-n-g-i-n uh, my Twitter is Brad Mangin, B-R-A-D-M-A-N-G-I-N. Perfect. There you go. I'll link it and people can go check it out. Thanks so much, Brad. Thanks for having me on, my, on your show. I just had a blast. It was so much fun. So there you have it. That was the Brad Mangin interview. I want to thank Brad so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with him about all his experience with him, photography and all his sports and everything he does with baseball and golf. Really enjoyed it. Um, definitely go check out Brad's website. It's manjinphotography.com as well as his Instagram at bmanjin. I'll link it in the bio and everything. Um, so definitely go check that out. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as on my website, alexgagnephoto.com and on my Instagram at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening and take care.